You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for the show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Happy Valentine's Day, Scott. Did you forget to get me you something? You know, I'm glad you remembered. Uh-huh. I'm glad yeah. you remembered. What'd you get me? Uh, you know, it's- Wait, it's am I your Valentine? Th- Let's start with that. Let's start with the baseline on that one. I think the better question is, what haven't I gotten you? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, as you might imagine, I'm not huge on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I How can't imagine. How about you? celebrate Valentine's I'm Day? I'm not a big fan either. I have to say, it's kind of a, a, a cooked up thing. Um, that said, we're all go- all the family's going out to dinner together to get oysters yeah. tonight. Yeah, it's going to be Oh, good. yeah, you're that oyster thing. That's yeah. good. I, I, I always think that stomach flu is a good way to kick off Valentine's Day. Oh, right. Nice. I never get stomach flu from oysters. They're the best things in the world. Or whatever it is, stomach food poisoning. So, so in other words, there's no candy on the way or flowers or anything else? Or Oh, no, it's there. Perfume. It's already there. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So not your holiday. What is your holiday, Scott? If you had to pick a holiday. What oh, would hands represent- down, Halloween. Come on. Halloween? Of course. You yeah, dress like Women a dress up like sluts and I get to wear a wig. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Win, win. I sometimes dress up with Kara Swisher. It's a really good costume. Mm. Yeah, there yeah. you go. You know, it's I'm scary. I'll give you that. Yeah, it, it is. San Francisco is <laughs> yeah. a good place for Halloween. Uh, shut up. Um, I'm having. A, I'm here in San Francisco right now. And again, walking down you the street, are. they are like, where's Scott? Uh, everywhere I go. Where's Scott? Why are you back in San Francisco? I have to have some things to do. I'm always okay. here. I come every month. All right. I have a house here. I love San Francisco. I'm looking at a beautiful view night. It's a beautiful day. It's in the 60s. It's very nice. I think you're running for mayor again. You're like no. this big San Francisco no. Chamber of Commerce thing. I think you're going to announce no. your run for mayor. No, I got some things. I got some things. My mom has moved in, moved here, so I'm helping her sort out her stuff. So things like that. Anyway, there's a lot going on here in not just not in California, but all around the world. Obviously, uh, UFOs very exciting. The winners and losers of Super Bowl on the marketing side. I thought they were okay. They lost my mind on them, but they were good. We'll talk about where the opportunities lie for tech in 2023. We always talk about the layoffs, but I want your thoughts. I want to plumb your brain for what you think people should focus on. And we'll also speak with a friend of Pivot, Lakshmi Rengarajan, about another kind of opportunity, dating apps, because it's a Valentine's Day episode. Love is all around. But first, Mm -hmm. the Super Bowl and its ads didn't disappoint this year, but viewers uh, in some markets saw a very different kind of car commercial. Tesla full self-driving will run down a child in a school crosswalk. 90% agree that this should be banned immediately. Why does NHTSA allow Tesla full self-driving? Well, 
that's, that's a message. The Tesla attack was hmm. funded by tech entrepreneur Dan O'Dad. He's he's made it his his business to uh, to talk about this a lot. He's he himself is very wealthy. But Tesla CEO Elon Musk wasn't watching TV when the ad appeared. He was spotted at the game sitting beside Rupert Murdoch. Well, that was a pair. Uh, two guys uh, who both know what it's like to lose a fortune buying social media apps, as it turned out. Musk joked on Twitter, of course, that he and Murdoch were discussing Dogecoin. Um, the cryptocurrency jumped 5% for a short-lived bump. You know, super buzz get talked about, but I, are they worth it, really? Do they cause attention, or what's the deal? There's some good ones. A lot of them were tech-oriented, as they always are. Uh, Ram's premature electrification was very funny about EVs. Um, mm-hmm. T-Mobile's Grease ad uh, with uh, John Travolta was cute. Workday, everyone's a rock star, was cute. There was one for Jesus. There was a... <laughs> What do you think about these? Is it worth the $7 million for 30 seconds of airtime? So the ad itself is not. What may be worth the $7 million is the attention it gets before and after, if you can bring together sort of that creative magic. Mm-hmm. I think it's a positive cultural thing. I think your vendors, your suppliers, your employees get a kick out of it. And do you remember that commercial with the kid dressed up as Darth Vader trying to make the Volkswagen start? It was such a cute commercial. Yeah, I mean, occasionally yeah. lightning does strike. Mm-hmm. And those commercials get exponentially, you know, they get a fantastic ROI. Right. Because what I found is my 12-year-old summarized it perfectly. I didn't watch the Super Bowl last night. I just could get, I didn't even know who was in it till the day before. Right. Yeah. And I used to watch it for the ads. Now I'll no longer do that. But my 12-year-old yeah. said, yeah, I'm watching it for the ads. Right. So That's what most th- people do now. Yeah. You know, advertising a- everywhere is a bug, not a feature, except in the Super Bowl, it's a feature. So people come to play. It also usually says something about our society. Last year, we had these commercials on crypto with Larry da- Larry David talking mm-hmm. about using a certain crypto platform. This mm-hmm. year, I don't I, I don't know if it's because I'm a little down or, but I found it sort of if the cultural references here aren't good ones, um, mm-hmm. and that is as much as I like people ribbing Tesla. You know, kind of revenge ads or shit posting yeah. ads, I don't yeah. like. I don't yeah. like ads on Jesus. That's mm-hmm. a right good for them. But it's like, that's where we are. We shit post each other and we talk about Jesus. I mean, it kind right. of summarizes America. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I found the ads a little bit. There were some really cute ones. Anything with Breaking Bad in it is cute. I saw that. Yeah, on they YouTube. were doing popcorners, which are delicious. Yeah. What did you think of the ads? Okay. I didn't think they soared to great heights. And usually there's one or two that are very, very funny. Yeah, amazing, I thought the, yeah. the only one I thought that was really good was the premature electrification. It was funny. Are you excited about buying an electric vehicle, but worried that it could leave you unsatisfied? I don't know if they count anymore. That's what I really wanted to yeah, get your thought on. Because, right. like, you know, tw- right. you could do more damage on Twitter in a second or on social media or wherever to to create virality year round. So I think the idea the idea of superbots was virality, right? This virality, mm-hmm. and 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 now it wasn't. You know, the the Ben Affleck one about for Dunkin' Donuts was cute. Not the greatest idea in the world, but cute. But I just don't. I don't know what the point is anymore, right? I don't. I, I, I think about it, advertising in general it used to really be so influential and create sort of these year-long halo effect, and now it's just there and gone. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, you're on to what is a bigger trend. I mean, first off, go to Cannes, and it's a bunch mm-hmm. of ad execs giving each other awards. Yeah. Trying to yeah. talk about how relevant they are as they go to their executioner's party on the beach, yeah. uh, Google or Facebook, that are, you know, petting their That's hair food. before they—, they they shoot them in the face. Mm-hmm. The The story I always talk about or bring up is that, and I love the story because it makes me seem important, but right out of business school, I met a guy named Warren Hellman. Mm-hmm. He was at the time 
oh. kind of the top private equity guy in the world. Yeah, and he, yeah. he was a he, he took a shine to me and he, he was I would loosely describe him as a mentor. And he asked me, uh, I started a strategy firm called Profit. He asked me to attend Mm-hmm. Uh, two years worth of board meetings for what was at that point the most valuable private company in the world, and that was Levi Strauss and Company. And I used to fly around the world, and he would ask me to listen to the board meeting, and he's like, I don't want you to talk to anybody, and I want you to stand up and tell us what you think. Oh. And what a great a professional assignment. Professional pain in the ass, but go ahead. Yeah, what a great assignment. It mm-hmm. set off a career of being an asshole. What a great assignment for a 28-year-old. Right. And they asked two other people to do it, to sit in in each of these board meetings. One mm-hmm. was Lee Clow. He did the Apple ads, mm-hmm. the Think Different ads. And then a guy named Nigel Bogle from BBH, which was the hottest creative agency in the UK. And the three of us, they would talk about ads. I would talk about strategy and direct-to-consumer, whatever. And I still go to a lot of board meetings because I have been able, I'd like to think, to sort of reinvent myself. I thought mm-hmm. e-commerce is the next thing. I got out of brand. Then I got into tech. Anyways, I haven't. I've probably been in, I wasn't as many in as, in as many board meetings last year. I was probably in 20 or 30, but I used wow, to be in 50 a, a year. That's what you've been um, doing, not buying me flowers and candy, but go ahead. <laughs> you do sound like my girlfriend. Anyways, I, I haven't seen Kara, an ad man or an ad mm-hmm. woman in a board meeting in 10 years. Wow. No one cares what they think. Right. I mean, keep yeah. in mind that the titans of yesterday in the world mm-hmm. of consumer uh, were Maurice Levy, Martin Sorrell. It was yeah. WPP, IPG, Omnicom. They were the, like the juggernauts. They were the Google mm-hmm. of yesterday. Yeah, power guys. Google and, and Meta will lose the value of each of those companies or gain it in one trading day. Mm-hmm. They have, if you want to talk about diminished power, and then the other personal story I would talk about is, Right when I started moved to New York, I, mm-hmm. you did summer shares out at the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. And the bells of the ball, the masters of the universe, were all these 30-something people who worked for the premier company in the world, the most influential baller company in the world, and that was Condé Nast. Right. And 20 years later, no. n- almost all of them are like kind of like they've had this slow burn to irrelevance. Yeah. You know, to be the associate, um, the associate publisher of Vanity Fair or Bon Appetit or Vogue was mm-hmm. the job they were making in their thirties. They were making half a million bucks a year, the mm-hmm. best parties. And it, the worst thing about what happened to people in print mm-hmm. is that it was a slow decline. Right. The best thing that could have happened for them is if it had just been shut off. Instead, Done. there were always signs. Yeah. They were always trying to reinvent themselves. Yeah. But the ad supported ecosystem. Unless you work for one of the big guys, it's a shitty business. Well, I do think it's the, it's the here and gone thing because we, we are titillated every day by social media, by constant news, by 24-7. And so I don't think anything breaks through. Like, how do you break through? And that's the idea. Yeah. Every now and then there's one something. But I can't think of something that's broken through, even shows as they make them. And then at the same time, because of the way it's done now, you know, right now Twitter is running ads next to tweets from Holocaust deniers, according to a report from Media Matters. <laughs> right. In the latest blunder, ads for companies like MailChimp and the Wall Street Journal were spotted alongside tweets from neo-Nazis and anti-Semites. You know, Elon's getting rid of the blue checks. He tweeted that legacy blue checks will be removed soon. Those are the ones who are true that are truly corrupt. How ridiculous and stupid. You know, and meanwhile, Twitter's making millions off of content of accounts that were previously banned, including misogynist Andrew Tate and jailed misogynist Andrew Tate, uh, possible rapist, apparently. Uh, it's it's really, like, if you're an advertising person right now, I don't know what I do because the other stuff ain't so sweet either, right? And it's declining too and the effectiveness. Uh, the constant 
and I, I use the word titillation, it's just we're constantly attacked by news and information that it, it cheapens all of it. It doesn't, nothing sticks out and things are here and gone, essentially. Well, the whenever you transition one substance to another for economic gain, whether it's mm -hmm. oil to petroleum or in our instance, people don't really recognize. And it's, it's there's no, no real malice here. There was delaying obfuscation. But the transition or the refining of attention to dollars has been probably, has been more, I would argue, more damaging than carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. And it just happened everywhere, whether it's getting more and more outrageous and salacious with ads, whether it's convincing 15-year-old girls to basically engage in soft porn on Instagram, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, uh, constant catastrophizing in the news media, whether it's media that uh, demonizes the other side to just tune, you know, after yep. the break, why Ted Cruz's father killed JFK. I mean, it just, it, it, it has, the attention economy and the ability to translate attention into shareholder value, Yeah, I think it's been more damaging than carbon emissions. Yeah, it's interesting. And, I mean, how do you find out about things? How do you find out about things? Yeah, things bubble up for me, either on social media, I hate to say it. Also, I get a lot of, um, I'm pretty religious about reading those emails every morning, whether it's Dealbook or The Economist or mm -hmm. CNN or The Information. I know you love Semaphore. Um, I find that I'll find something in there that I, I, I that I think Puck is what me. I read the most, but go ahead. Yeah. Puck, you read Puck the most. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. That's I really like interesting. That. Yeah. I like um, it a lot. It's very valuable to me. By the way, I'm in, let's go back to me. I'm in, okay. you leave the apartment, you take mm -hmm. off, you don't even say goodbye. Yeah. Um, I did try. I did try. You don't even say goodbye. I tried. And you I were hear... in your little thing. You were yelling at someone on, on the video, but go ahead. I was yelling at myself, Kara. No, you, you were yelling. Me? I could hear you. I was yelling into a mirror. Anyway, I was. I was our practicing dirty Valentine's laundry here. But I was doing yoga and I was doing my. I was doing my <laughs> favorite movement. Something. You were in one of your screamies. I was doing my favorite movement, crippling anxiety post. Okay. Uh, I read that online. Anyway, I also texted you. What are you? are so needy. I literally texted you. I tried to say goodbye. I left you, Bill Cohen. Don't even go okay, ahead. Okay, let's Start. be honest. What? If we're going to be real here, I'm the least needy person you have ever met. As a matter of fact, one of the big reasons my relationships have ended is because I am not needy enough. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Oh, you're leaving? Okay. Okay. Great. All right. So what, what was I, your I point of my anyway, leaving so without I'm saying in, goodbye? I'm doing the podcast. You're yeah. out. But I hear a really deep masculine voice and I think, oh, Kara's still here. But it wasn't you. <laughs> it was. I feel it was. I'm sitting in my podcast and I'm trying to like focus on my call and I hear this very familiar booming voice mm -hmm. I, and I can't, I'm like, who the fuck is in my house? <laughs> and I go out and I see the very handsome Bill Cohen in my living room. I'm like, what is Bill Cohen doing here? By the way, Bill Cohen's <laughs> one of the founders of Puck. And I'm, great like, writer. Great. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. And I, yeah. he was on some very important Zoom call talking about junk bond rates. So I just waved at him yeah. and he yeah. waved at me like this was not unusual. Like, oh yeah, I'm in your house unannounced. <laughs> This is. Are you offended? And it ends up. And I like having strangers in my house because I'm lonely and I need. Yeah. I need yeah. people to stop by. I really do yeah. love having guests. Yeah. And and he's like, oh yeah, I did something with Kara, and she said to just make yourself at home. You literally. <laughs> I did not. You make yourself at home more than anyone I, <laughs> I know. He had you, to finish a call. Our call went late, and I said, I'm sure Scott wouldn't mind you staying here. So you I don't give him a heads up. Wait, hold I on. We had you. your sister-in-law stay at my house. I didn't even know she was staying there. <laughs> I wake up. I wake up and I see this very pleasant lady, and I'm like, "Hi, <laughs> how are you?" 
And then Bill Cohen's oh, in my God. living room. I guess I'll never get to stay there again. Oh, Anyways, well. you treat it like the international co-op house at Berkeley. You know what? You said whatever, Kara, and then you don't actually mean it. You no, get, I like, do. All I'm just giving you a hard time. All like right, whatever. You weren't supposed to be there. Okay, yeah. you weren't supposed to be there, and then you were. I like that. So you use my house when I'm not there. I come home, the garage is on fire, and the dog is pregnant. You're worse than a 17-year-old whose parents are gone. No, there was. I left you a very handsome man, and a very. Pl- I had a very pleasant person. Anyways, I Puck. Back to Puck. You asked how we get information. All right, so uh, finish this up. We got to get to the big story, which is UFOs. You're, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. Between we've rewired our brains such that we need constant stimulation, Constant. And there's just no getting around it. I do think TikTok should be banned. But when you have 1.7 billion people yeah. and 50% of them or 850 million people are creating content, from 850 million, you're going to get 85,000 amazing, amazing creators yeah, you are. who, using technology, can put out yeah. bite-sized, snackable, interesting snackable. content. It is. And TikTok has immediately zeroed in on, like, the wonky weirdos I love. Yep. That's where you get your information. You know what I did last night? I sat on my computer. I didn't watch. I had the Super Bowl on the background. I turned it off. I watched SNL shorts. I watched some some stuff from different economists. And I just went down a rabbit hole on, on, you know, various video platforms. I think they're, I think in a word, the ad guys, the ad supported guys, I always tell people, don't be in a move. Don't be in an industry that is ad supported. Yeah. It's just going away. This is the the inside I wanted to get out of you. I I had this feeling. (laughs) We took the long way home on that one. Okay, speaking of which, let's get to our first big story. If you're just tuning in, the War of the Worlds has begun. In the last week, the United States says it shot down three UFOs, or as the military likes to call them now, unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, That's in addition to the Chinese spy balloon shot down off the coast of South Carolina, which was floating over the U.S. for a while. The U.S. government has been light with the details. NORAD described two objects as cylinder-shaped, said one was the size of a small car instead of the truck, three trucks things that the balloon was. Meanwhile, China's foreign ministry claims that the U.S. violated Chinese airspace with balloons of its own. China says American balloons have floated over the country 10 times in the last year. The U.S. government denies these claims. You know, this is, of course, taking up all the, you know, CNN has become the ancient alien network right now. Everybody's writing about it. But there is a bigger idea here. First of all, why now? The U.S. does spy on other countries. China spies on our country. But this is sort of bringing this idea of surveillance into sharp relief, like the idea of surveillance and where it's going. Aerial spying could affect private companies like SpaceX. It launches satellites to the U.S. government, including the National Recognizance Office. I don't even want to know what they do. Uh, SpaceX is trying to distance itself from its work in the Ukraine with drones, et cetera. Uh, there are the idea of killer satellites, et cetera. Um, so what do you think of this story? Because it's not going away. And they, I assume they've always been here, these things. And I don't think they're alien aliens from like another planet. But what, what are your thoughts about how this story is spinning out suddenly? It's just, it's really a function of altitude. Uh, and that is, we have balloons over us, right? But mm-hmm. if a, if something is literally present in your child's prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. we don't mind that. And then if a satellite, if a Chinese satellite is coming over U.S. territory, but it's whatever, 70 miles up or however far it is, we don't mind that or we can't do yeah. anything about it. It's in the middle that we get upset, right? Yeah. And so it's 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 interesting, but I think you're going to find pretty much everyone is engaged in this, or mm-hmm. everyone that can afford it is engaged in this, including us. Mm-hmm. And we're now having kind of proxy wars where we start shooting down each other's balloons, right? Um, as a means of saying, okay, we don't want to go to war directly with you, but we're gonna we're gonna shoot these things down. I don't think these balloons 
I think we're right to shoot them down. Um, uh, but I think it's much more insidious to have, you know, I think TikTok and I think the real, the, the, the race over intelligence comes down to two things. It comes down to something very technically sophisticated, and that is satellites and listening devices. But still, uh, the more advanced we get, the more we recognize that the mm -hmm. need for soft intelligence, and that is human assets on the ground. Right. And the greatest, the greatest kind of, I don't know, corporate espionage is humans. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of them come through our universities and end up at big tech firms. And then right. what we do when we realize they're spying on behalf of the CCP or someone else is we turn them. And you know how we turn them? Mm. With America. We just right. say, do you want to stay here? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to go back to Shenzhen? And we turn yeah. them. Yeah. But there is so much human capital. That's the best intelligence you can find. But I find it all fascinating. Yeah, I it? know. It's really interesting that now, of course, I always assumed they were there sort of floating around. Everyone was spying from the top with these satellites. Mm -hmm. There's been a million movies of that. Um, there's so many satellites up there. SpaceX is one of the places. There's a lot of tech people involved in low, low, I think they're called low orbit satellites or something like that. And mm -hmm. so you, you, I'm assuming they're listening all the time. Like all the time and they're floating things and they're looking at what's interesting is that you mentioned TikTok and the TikTok CEO is scheduled to appear before a house committee next month. Uh, is it just we should expect this uh, that they're up there doing this and we should try to shoot them down? And then of course there's the whole, is it actually an alien here that we keep shooting at? Right. Is this, is this like peep probes from another planet kind of thing, which is ridiculous. This is some country, likely China, um, who's doing it and we're doing it to them. And so it does bring up this whole idea of like being watched constantly or manipulated constantly. Um, or the, the, you know, from above, from the middle and below, essentially. Yeah. But we, I mean, we had the Gary Powers U2. We used to fly U2s over the Soviet Union yeah. because we, it was a race to see who could fly higher such that you'd be out of the, out of the range of anti-aircraft missiles. And we, and basically now our, we have aircraft that fly almost to the Kármán line. Yeah. So we do this to each other all of the time. I think yeah. the next war is likely going to, the next proxy war is going to break out in space. Space, yeah. I think we're going to figure out and be able to identify which satellites are, are not good actors, according to us. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come up with sophisticated technical reasons for how they malfunction in space. Yeah. There's a whole um, idea about this killer satellites that take down other satellites. That, of course, yeah. was a James Bond movie 25, 30 yeah, years ago. No, 50 remember? years ago. You know, what? it also comes down to this idea of us versus China, which is continuing to get – I don't know if it's getting – I, I wouldn't. I don't mind them fighting it out with balloons. I'd rather have that than in the Taiwan Straits, right? So let us fight over balloons. I don't know if it escalates to more, um, but certainly everybody's sort of tough on China. That's sort of a, a brand. Speaking of brands, for every all the Republicans and the Democrats. Well, this is the thing about war, and, and that is, we have decided proxy war. We've essentially outsourced a, a war to military families and and younger kids. And then we've outsourced war to Ukrainian soldiers. And we figured out a way that we don't even have to put American boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. And we entered in these proxy wars. And then these wars that are fought with technology and means of saying, okay, we hate each other and we're going to, we're going to fight each other, but we're never going to get close to something that resembles a real shooting match. Cause we mm -hmm. realized the downside there could be terrible because neither side wants to back down. And that's what Ian Bremmer says is the real risk of escalating the war in Ukraine, because effectively what you have now is NATO is at war with Russia. That's effectively what, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm on the other side, I'm the war hawk or part of the war hawk community that says the only way to end a war is to win it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's actually not true, but the be- I should say the best way to win a war or end a war is to win it. But there's all these kind of different types of proxy wars popping up where we're bumping each other, seeing what the other side is willing to endure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 you know, it's it's a little bit, and it makes, here's the, at the end of the day, it makes for great media. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fascinating, it right? Yeah, no, CNN constant. It's like literally like, is it an alien? I'm like, it's not an alien. I wish it was an alien. Do you wish it was? I kind of wish it was an alien, don't you? It's far, just, it's about time they got here and fixed it. You okay? think? Or ate us, either one. Yeah, I don't know. I think if I had to if I had to pick aliens or no aliens, I would go with the whole no aliens. Thing. No, I totally want aliens to arrive. Really? Yeah. Be cool. Yeah. Would take change. I'm so sick of the story now. I want a new story. That's a the whole story. theory. The story's getting better. Your story. Uh, I, you I stay like, at a, you stay at amazing apartments and invite strangers over. How could your how could your <laughs> you story be, be any better? You are the type of person who says you got I'm a not young sensitive. wife. You got you've locked and loaded with new kids. Like Listen how could your how could right you're now, sick of the story? I, I also left a drone in your apartment, so I'm watching mm. things very carefully. I have a satellite in your apartment and it's there so I here's can, the key i've decided track my it. life is so profane and outrageous and uncomfortable yeah. that you just got to go full weird weird if you're That's like nice. if you're a decent human being like an honorable citizen 98 percent of the time mm-hmm. you get in trouble with the two percent you just yeah. got to go full all right see i'm trying to help you do that there i'm trying to help you do that next visit who shall i have in the apartment who shall i don't I know have? Maybe I'll party with Stephanie Rule and we'll bring all our cable friends in. I don't know what's going to happen. Who's to say? I don't know. Could you know? And of course, you didn't buy her any Valentine's things either. I'm My sure. favorite Bond yeah. um, used to be James Bond, that. but then I started taking Viagra and decided I wanted to be Roger Moore. Moore, yeah. get it? <laughs> <laughs> the worst Bond, except for his first outing as uh, a Bond in um, what was it? Oh God, I'd, I love Live I and Let Die, his, Roger Moore. I, Live and Let Die. Yeah, that was the first. Yeah, one most beautiful spoke. Bond woman ever. Um, yeah. Jane Seymour. Yeah, Jane Seymour. She was great. She was real. She was the she was the the card reader, the tarot card reader. Yeah, yeah. She was great. Oh, I love Bonds. Anyway, Scott, let's go on a quick break, and when we come back. We'll talk about where the big tech layoffs are taking the industry and where the new jobs are, and we'll speak with friend of Pivot, Lakshmi Rengarajan. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Let's talk travel. Whether you're setting off on a business trip or taking that well-deserved summer vacation, we're always so focused to getting to our destination that we forget to embrace the journey. Well, when you fly Virgin Atlantic, it serves as a reminder that a memorable trip begins right from the moment you check in. That's why they offer loads of special touches to truly elevate your time in the sky, such as in-flight movies, music, TV, and podcasts that you actually can't wait to dive into. A snack bar that you can help yourself to at any time, and an iconically British high tea high up in the clouds. They've got these little salt and pepper shakers that you're encouraged to pocket as your first souvenir. And if you're feeling really fancy, how about a wine tasting experience at 38,000 feet? Uh, So really, we're just getting started. From their brilliant next level service to the food, the entertainment, the planes, the clubhouse, the crew, and so much more. These are just a few of the many special touches that make me love flying with Virgin Atlantic. And I do. I fly Virgin Atlantic a lot. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip to London and beyond and see for yourself how traveling for business can always be a pleasure. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise. The future of work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Scott, we're back. It's another week, another round of layoffs. Meta isn't planning to lock in staff budgets anytime soon, according to the FT, leading to speculation of another round of job cuts next one month, probably at their metaverse area. Microsoft cut at least 600 employees late last week, axing its members of its Surface, HoloLens, and Xbox units, as well as its industrial metaverse division. Again, more metaverse layoffs. Um, a lot of these layoffs target the more long-term moonshot products that they were excited about, where they were innovating, uh, with the budgets tightening in big tech. Let's talk about where the opportunity might be because you can't just tighten your way to, to the next thing. Obviously, AI. And according to the World Economic Forum, 75 million current jobs will be displaced by machines and algorithms, but 133 million new jobs will be created as well. So here you are, all these things happening, things are up and down. Um, I, I'd love to use your thoughts of, for first for the big companies, and then we'll talk a little bit about startups. What is the move here for these companies? Well, first off, and I, I feel like I've been a small cog in the wheel here, and that is I, I'm I'm um, disheartened and disturbed when I read comments on my blog from young people about how down they are on capitalism in America. And mm-hmm. I just don't think that's an accurate reflection of where we where we really are. And yeah. I think it's from the constant catastrophizing of media. And yep. again, we talked about this topic. I like it. Go ahead. Well, let's let's talk about media with all the headlines. Okay, granted, let's talk about recent all the layoffs through COVID and then all the hiring. Okay, but for each company, how many people they've laid off during COVID and how mm-hmm. many people they've hired? Microsoft, a lot of news, has laid off 10,000 people. It's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many they've hired through COVID? You see that more, more, 30,000. 77,000. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make headlines. Google has laid off 12,000 people. Ton of headlines, Google layoffs. How many people did they hire through COVID? 68,000 for a net hiring of 56,000. Salesforce, world of shit, right? Mm -hmm. Activists, Mark has been asleep at the switch. A lot of people all of a sudden second guessing guessing Mark. They laid off 7,000 people. Oh my gosh, through COVID, they hired Mm 31,000. Amazon. Laid off 18,000 people. Big news. Oh, my God, Amazon. Oh, but wait, all the headlines for the 18,000 layoffs, not as many layoffs around through the 30 months identified as the COVID period. Mm -hmm. They hired 746,000 people. Yeah, close to a million. Meta, 11,000 layoffs, but 42,000 hires. So it's like, okay, what what exactly... What right, should that's be the, the layoff here? thing. What is their promise if this, if they hired all these things? I mean, what if you're in that job when when this is the idea of relentless year of efficiencies? Where is the innovation come from that that allows you to get to the next level, or do you just are you in stasis as a big company? You can guarantee everyone is trying to pivot to something around AI, and Meta is kicking themselves because they had a lot of interesting AI which they mm-hmm. made nothing of. Yeah, Google is furious that OpenAI is getting all this credit for what they feel is technology that they played a big hand in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're laid off from one of these companies, if you're somebody, there's so much opportunity right, right now, both in the information economy, you find some smart people and you say, you know what, we're just going to try and find interesting data sources 
and see if we can feed them into you know, prediction engines and see what we come up with and see if it's data anyone will buy. There's just a huge amount of opportunity to sit down, sign up for all of these things and brainstorm. Right. There's also huge opportunities in the Main Street economy. I'm coaching this young man who's handy, mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. like college, was never a good student. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. in America, his parents have shamed him because he's not a good student. And he dropped out of college his first year. And there's just like the whole house came crumbling down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm coaching his parents, not him. And like, that's okay. It's not the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And he's he's amazing with his mm-hmm. hands. He's like a craftsman. craftsman. Mm-hmm. He came over and he helped me set up my studio. And I'm like, boss, you need to get an apprenticeship, go for six or 12 months, become an electrician, mm-hmm. and th- you'll make a shit ton of money. And guess yeah. what? Everything will be fine. Yep. We, we we have to stop shaming. I'm going off on a tangent here. Mm-hmm. I like this tangent. Young, young men and women that don't end up at Google or KKR. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways in the Main Street economy. As a matter of fact, it's probably, I would argue, it may even be easier, especially if you don't have the certification from these luxury brands posing as education institutions that let in the rich and the freakishly remarkable. If you're mm-hmm. neither of those things, it's not a bad idea to get a trade job. Yeah, I would agree. Because, I talk to my kids a lot about that. But because we're not letting in immigrants, mm-hmm. you can, with any sort of skill around plumbing or electric right now, you spend two to five years really learning the trade. And if you're good at business and willing to work hard, I think you're making an extraordinary living. Yeah. But all of these kids are like, no, I, I want to, if you do what your parents want, you go to school and go into the information, high prestige economy. And if you do what you're society is telling you to do, you become right. an influencer. I'm like, no, right. there's a but, third but me, lane here. Yeah, let me ask you, though, let's talk about the startups. Be Real, which is a very good product. Their downloads are down 95% from their 2022 peak. You take a picture on Be Real uh, that's not performative. They just say, now yeah, you have to take life. a picture. Their life, yeah. right, life. The venture capitalist Sasha Koletsky has tweeted that the numbers show how difficult it is to keep consumer apps growth once you've crossed a chasm. Home fitness startup Tonal, another pretty cool product, is looking for a buyer after spending big on hiring, sort of the Peloton of this year. So when you're like, if you are like in a venture capitalist right now, it feels like there's not a lot of, there's a lot of stuff been tried and a lot of stuff's not sticking. This is the same theme of advertising. It's not sticking. What is good? What do you imagine is going to stick first besides being a plumber? <laughs> well, first off, uh, I advised, I advised two VC firms and my mm-hmm. advice you know, they want to talk about where do we go, what investments, what categories. Yeah. My advice is to sit on your hands and do nothing right now. Because oh, wow. what's happening okay. in the housing market is happening in the venture market. And that is everybody's anchoring off. Joe sold his house. You know, the, the Smiths sold their house for $800,000 15 months ago. So mm-hmm. I should get 800000 Well, no, the market's changed dramatically. And so they don't want to, even if they put their house for sale, they don't want to accept a lower price. Meanwhile, buyers... Uh, read everything in the in the news about a recession or housing prices coming mm-hmm. down and think, oh wait, this house is worth six fifty. So right now there's total as you the word used with stasis or a standoff. Mm-hmm. The same thing's happening in the small business and entrepreneurship community. And that is companies that raise money still have capital. They raise a lot of money. They're cutting, but they don't want to think about the next round and they don't want to acknowledge that their valuation is probably down 50, 70, maybe even 80%. And time mm-hmm. is so on the side of venture investments. Now, where, what field would you go into? You know, I think there's a ton of opportunity in what I'll call tech-enabled services. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I'm an, I, I'll tell you where I'm investing. I'm investing, I invested in a company that was very similar to the company I called L2, called 0100. 
that collects a ton of data and research on supply chain innovation. Mm -hmm. Because every company, slowly but surely, is elevating supply chain to kind of the top level decision-making capital allocation. They're realizing that supply chain is how Amazon won, and it's also how almost every company got taken down through COVID. So it's no Mm -hmm. longer this necessary evil. It's a key component of strategy. And it's a tech-enabled firm, but it's a bunch of smart people writing research, hosting events, and helping big, big companies figure out their supply chain. I think a company like that, so, and I want to be clear, we're not going public for $5 billion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's a great business. He'll build, right. the guy who runs it is a fantastic operator. He'll build it slowly. He'll build enduring value. And in seven to 10 years, we'll have a company doing 30 million or 40 million in ARR that'll get sold right. for two to 300 million. Yeah. And that's a great, that's an amazing way to make a living. What, what I, what you have and is again, created all sorts of externalities is in a world of zero interest rates where money is free. And if you can make any money, you'll make money for your limiteds. You end up with WAG. You end up with the, mm-hmm. the concept you, you talk about right. as a cute concept. It's not a business, I yeah. don't think. Yeah. And you end up with Kathy Wood talking about Bitcoin at a million dollars. You end up with just all of yeah. this crap. Um, and it's got to get cleaned out. We need, it does. Uh, it's just there's a lot of underbrush that needs to be burned in a bit of a super fire, which will spawn new ideas that are that kind of make the first advice I give to entrepreneurs. And I'm old school. Tell things. Well, and not only that, what makes a business is not expenses. Don't build that infrastructure. It's not even customers, because in order to aggregate enough customers to be able to make money off an ad model, you have to be such scale and raise so much capital. I'm like, the thing that makes a business is revenues. Find something people, a person, another person or a company will pay you for immediately. Right. And that's how I was built businesses. And granted, I never had a big win. All my companies kind of did tens of millions and got sold for, you know, three to six times revenue. Mm-hmm. But I found that that is a lower risk way of building enduring value. And mm-hmm. I was, I'm writing, you know, I'm writing this book, Algebra of Wealth. And I'm like, I know how, I, I generally believe I know how to get you rich. That's mm-hmm. the good news. The bad news is the answer is slowly. Mm-hmm. It's it's thinking thoughtfully about it's trying to mean you you can go cash flow negative for a little while yeah but it's the, yeah I do think this idea of boom is not I think people have got to let go of it a little bit in tech especially as it's the next you know boom they tried to boom with cryptocurrency they tried to boom I do think AI but now they're over investing in it right I think it's a slow growth like this is kind of yeah. thing and so there may not be some. Unless aliens show up and give us new technology, which is my great hope, as you know, um, it's not going to be a, it feels like we're in that period of, even though, you know, obviously AI is the biggest thing, climate change tech, we're, they're going to be very slow in how beneficial they're going to be. And I would agree with you. Start off slow and stay slow for the longer. It's not going to be this sudden crop of billionaires just out of nowhere. But there's a, one of the things you have to recognize or try to recognize as a young person, I didn't is that big flaw in the species, because until literally the last 100 years, we didn't live past 38, we have a very difficult time calibrating time. Simply Mm -hmm. put, we don't know how fast time is going to go. And young people are all looking for get rich quick. How do I get to a hot company that's going to sell for a billion dollars in three years? How do I buy the new cryptocurrency that will triple in the next 30 days? Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, those businesses, they'll get be a lot of very well-publicized small number of them that do just that, but the majority, that doesn't happen for. Mm -hmm. And the thing I would just tell people is imagine, imagine that the next 20 years is going to go really fast because it's going to. I know you can't imagine it now, but but what could you build that with relative certainty over 20 years, you'd make really good money? At the end of that 20 years, you'd have real money. 
If I had, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot this a lot because I'm writing this book. Mm-hmm. I made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in my 20s. I got right, I, I shot out of the gates really fast. Yeah. I, I was even at one point in my 30s, you know, making 500,000 to a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And then between the great financial recession, and I'm, I'm not proud of this, I'm embarrassed by it, between the great financial recession, the dot com bust, and a divorce, at 42, when I had my first kid, mm-hmm. I was almost broke. Yeah. And if I'd just been not so, just a little bit smarter, or quite frankly, not so fucking stupid, and mm-hmm. and I had the same mentality a lot of these kids have, and I'm like, I'm swinging for the fence, I'm good at what I do, yeah. I'm on the precipice of a big win. Red Envelope's going to go public, I'm going to have tens mm-hmm. of millions of dollars. Yeah, I've you're already spending in this, a bit. I have an investment in this tech company that I got to invest in alongside Kleiner Perkins, who knows no more than the rest of us. I'm going to make $10 million there. And I was always close to those big hits, but they never happened. And I had lifestyle creep and I kept spending more and more and more. And then 2008 comes, wham, ran over by a truck. My kid comes out and I tell this story. I remember being in the, being in the um, delivery room mm-hmm. and I was so nauseous. I couldn't stand. I had to sit down. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was in a bad, bad way. Because you didn't think it could provide? Come on. It, Oh, 100%. This is what I felt. I I mean, granted, childbirth is disgusting, and I don't think men should be Mm -hmm. in the delivery room, but that's another conversation. They should not. Yes. Yes. I'm a Ricky Ricardo fan, but go ahead. Here's why I was disabled. Mm -hmm. It had dawned on me that with all my blessings, all of my luck, and all of my talent, Mm -hmm. I was at 42, and I wasn't in the position I should have been. And I had not only failed myself, I had failed my son. And that fear and that shame like literally washed over me like a fucking tidal wave. Mm. And if I'd just been a little smarter, if I'd just shown a little bit more stoicism, if I'd just been a little bit more, and here's the thing in America, we believe we're all exceptional. Mm-hmm. And the, the, a good thing about America is we reward the exceptional more than any nation in the world. But the better thing about in America is you don't need to be exceptional. Live below your means just a little bit. Put money away. Put it in low-cost ETFs. If I had just put, it would have been so easy for me yeah, and you to put ten, fifty, dollars $100,000 away in low-cost diversified ETFs. It would have been mm-hmm. so easy, so easy. And at the age of 42, instead of being in a delivery room, like terrified, mm-hmm. I would have had five, seven million bucks in the bank. Yeah. That's how Kara Swisher invests, in case you're interested. The most powerful force in the universe is compound annual growth rate. That's but instead, I, I thought, I'm exceptional. I own $20 million in red envelope stock. Guess mm-hmm. what? Dot com. No, you don't. There's an inverse correlation between return on investment in your human and financial capital and how sexy a job is. Yep. Full stop. I like your dullness. I like, I enjoy your dullness. You know what works at a bar? I'm saying, saying this right. to the guys. I thought, you know what? <laughs> okay. I have a plan. I'm, I'm, I'm courageous. I have a plan. I'm an adult and I make really good money. It doesn't have to be cool. That's exactly what we're going to talk about with our next guest. So let's bring in our friend to pivot. It's Lakshmi Rangarajan. This leads in perfectly, Scott. He's the co-host of Land of the Giants Dating Games. Lakshmi's work has focused on how to help people connect in real life and how to offset the weariness of online dating. She previously worked at Match.com and at WeWork as Director of Workplace Connection. Oh, my God. This should be interesting. Hmm. Welcome, uh, Lakshmi. Can I, wait, can I just do a quick um, gushing moment? Is that okay? You may gush. <laughs> gush away. Carol been following you for so many years. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for everything you do. I I adore all of your work. Thank you. And Scott, um I have to tell you I was I I discovered you when I was at WeWork 
And I was there for the crash and all of that. And <laughs> sure I just want you to know, like, your your content helped me and a lot of other people um, process what was a really difficult few months. And so I just wanted to I wanted you to know that. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, saying that, Larkin. We were recording. Don't worry. Um, yeah, good. We're good. We're glad to help you out. I think Scott really did a lot of really important work during that time period, and I appreciate your your things. But let me let me say, you also, besides, you were director of Workplace Connection there, which is one of the I big was. pulls of WeWork was the idea that you could meet people, and socialize, and the drinking, et cetera, et cetera. And then you also worked at Match.com, but now you've been working on uh, this show, Land of the Giants, which is focusing different things every time they do it, and this time it's the dating games. So yeah. give us an overview of the work you've done in the field of dating and how you feel about dating culture as it stands today, or connection culture, I guess, because that's sure. what you're really doing. Sure. So it's actually like back in 2009. Mm-hmm. So Online dating was already a big thing. It was like before Tinder, but Mm -hmm. people were dating online and that had started. And I started already noticing the change in people, that there was the disposability, the snap judgments that had already started. Mm -hmm. And I was doing this project where I I had interviewed all of these couples that met at work. Mm -hmm. And almost every couple told me that the person that they were with was not someone that they had that they liked immediately, Mm -hmm. that this person had kind of grown on them over time. 100%. And so I sort of feel about Scott, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly. It's how I think a lot of people feel about Scott. (laughs) Go on. There's our, there's your co-host. There's your next co-host. Okay. Um, But uh, so I saw this, yeah, yeah, I saw this like change in people. Like we're losing this sort of gradual attraction, Mm -hmm. this, this thing that happens with people. And I was at this lunch and learn where I, where I worked and I had just gone for the free pizza. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy there that I didn't notice at all. He could have just been wallpaper to me. Mm-hmm. And he gave this presentation about sports marketing. And it wasn't just about sports marketing. It was sort of about his life and mm-hmm. how he arrived at this moment. And he had slides. And he told this, like, really, really important, sweet story. And I remember he started to look different to me. Like, in that, in the course of those, like, 20 minutes, he started to look different to me. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to this group of women outside afterwards. And I, they were like, oh, that was a really good presentation. And then I said— were any of you kind of turned on? And they were like, yes, yes. Like, what was that? What <laughs> yeah. was that? Yeah. And it was because this person had sort of been dimensionalized mm-hmm. and we were getting context on him. Right. So I sort of took note of that. And then so I started experimenting with in-person events mm-hmm. and storytelling and slides and how could I slow down the process of dating, mm-hmm. but still make it a really efficient and fun experience. And so I did that for several years and then that's what caught the attention of Match.com, and that's how I kind of went there for a while. So you wanted to fix them. You wanted to fix, get rid of the judgy stuff, the, the yeah, disposability. I yeah. Um, when you got there, what did you want to do to fix them? Because why do you, their algorithms don't get as much scrutiny as other social apps, like well, how they're doing them? Yeah. I mean, I was brought in for a lot of reasons. I was brought in to try and change our events business. I think I was brought in to bring my opinion and what I was learning in the field. There's a lot of people that report on dating. There's not as many people who are actually trying to build something different. Um, But I mean, you know, long story short, I don't know that anyone really wanted to hear from me because I was saying I was hired for those insights. But then when I got there, I ran into a lot of like, well, we're going to make this button green instead of blue because green is (laughs) more engaging. So I don't even know that people knew what I was saying, quite frankly. 
So let's, but let's just double click on something you said that the, a lot of people uh, over time, at least on initial encounter, weren't interested and found that they became increasingly interested. It's very reductive, but I've generally found that, you know, guys get turned on with their eyes, women get turned on with their ears. And um, uh, what do you do? What do you do at uh, one in three relationships begin at work? And if it requires a certain level of persistence or trying again or expressing interest, first off, you're told as a man that if you express anything resembling romantic interest at work, you're a predator and should be fired. And two, uh, how do you even begin to talk about um, the reality that sometimes it requires a little bit of persistence? I mean, haven't we just basically said to the entire mating community that a third of all mating opportunities are going away because... And then you rely um, on online, and then you rely on online. You just, everyone has to go online. You can't. You're not supposed to meet at work. And, anyways, I'll I'll just stop there. But haven't we basically, through through certain norms, which are justified because of some of the terrible things that have happened in a professional workplace, haven't we just essentially kind of d- destroyed a third of the the alchemy and points of inspiration for for relationships? Yeah, we have, and I'm. I've I've heard you talk about this and I'm I'm with you. And so I don't feel like I can necessarily comment on workplace romances per se, but I think what you're pointing at and I think the thing that we have to remember is whether we like it or not, we have spent decades making work the de facto town town square. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That was one of the few places where you could go and slowly get to know people over time. Right. So I think that's the That's the thing that we have to take away is remember that a lot of your coworkers, a lot of your friends, a lot of the people that you adore were not people that you liked initially. And you got to know them over moments. You got to know them because they cleared your coffee mug, because they spoke up in a meeting. And whether whether or not I'm not advocating for workplace romances, but I think that the takeaway is that people are people unfold over time. And work is one of the few places where people can unfold over time. So how do you not get unfolded online? Because everyone crafts their online persona um, and it must mm-hmm. impact like what you're, you're being very, I find it all, I've never used an online dating service, but they seem performative to me and not real. My son took his off. He finds them ridiculous. You know what I mean? They're not and then, of course, it's harder to meet in person, as you say. How do you fix the world of online dating? Because that's where people are doing this now, if given other venues are not available to them. No, I get it. And I know that everybody wants, like, advice. Or, mm-hmm. um, the way that I like to think about it is, I rather than advice, because I think when we give people advice, we suggest that there's a right or a wrong way to do this. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is give people sort of considerations. Mm-hmm. And think about the pool that you've been placed in, which is what we're doing in in Land of the Giants. Mm -hmm. We're not blaming the dating industry, but we want you to know the pool that you've been placed in and what chemicals are in the water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you start. And you have Hmm. been placed in a pool where marketing yourself and standing out is more important than developing the skill of how to get to know other humans. Right? So, like... My advice to people is to remember and be very aware of how dating online has changed you and changed everybody else. Mm-hmm. What about fixing the apps themselves? Well, I don't know that anyone will listen to me about fixing the apps, but what I do know is that we need to care about who is building our apps mm-hmm. and who's going to be building 
the future of dating. So I tell people they want to know what app to go to. And I'm more like, I would go look at the founder, mm-hmm. right? Because that will tell you a lot about what's being built um, and how they, you know, like how they inform their world and the decisions that they make. So no, do I think we can fix dating? No. But do I still want to empower people to date differently and date well and be aware? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put forward a thesis and I would just love to get your yeah. uh, response to it and go more meta than just online dating. And that is women date or mate socioeconomically horizontally and up, men horizontally mm-hmm. and down. Over 50% of women say they would never date a guy shorter than them. And it's probably closer to 80% because it's an embarrassing to say, thing to say I wouldn't date someone shorter than me. And what you have, women now own more homes, single women, than men. You have men maturing later, um, getting mixed signals about being aggressive, not being as economically mm-hmm. viable. My friend Chris Williamson, who has a, a great podcast, by the way, um, he described it perfectly to me. And he said that for the last three decades, women have been getting taller and men have been getting shorter. Mm-hmm. And I hear women, and we all hear this story, and I know a bunch of them. I know all these great women that not only are mating, they're not even dating. Yeah, And it's not because there aren't men out there. It's because we're not producing enough economically or emotionally viable men. Have you given any thought to like big picture solutions, whether it's through technology or society or social programs that can get men growing again, if you will? Um, I There are a few things I think about more than this. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's 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 a lot there's a lot to say here and i know that this is a topic that you care a lot about and one thing that i i hear in your voice and i've heard this several times is i know that you are hearing a depth of honesty that not a lot of people get to hear you're not just hearing dating frustration i think you're hearing some despair mm-hmm. and i think we have to be very mindful of that. So as we are talking to people about how to date better and how to find a partner, I think we also have to be really careful not to depict singlehood as this awful deficit and this mm-hmm. awful thing mm-hmm. that, Fair. you know, you are. It doesn't define success. Or it failure. does not. Yeah. It does not. And 100%. so I just want to make sure we're having both conversations. So one thing that I learned from designing events for for such a long time is men are visual but mm-hmm. they also um, are much more open-minded. They're less have, choosy. That's they, what well, they, saying. They're well, they have choosy, a big right? range right. for what they find mm-hmm. attractive. Right. But what happens is when they're on the apps, the most, I mean, we've, we've heard of this, the, the most shallow side of them is being mm-hmm. cultivated over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And so the side of them that does, you know, it like does have range and doesn't just look at women for how they look or how old they are or mm-hmm. what their weight is, that side of them gets suppressed. And then you have the same thing happening with women. I know that the surveys say that women, you know, are obsessed with height. Like, and I think in a survey format that is true, if you really talk to women, like really talk to them, and they're mm-hmm. not just responding to a form, they're not as hung up on that as you might think. Mm -hmm. They are hung up on that in the moment when they're asked to make a snap judgment. But the thing Mm -hmm. that I learned over and over is if you can delay people's judgment, and that is something that the apps do not let you do. They they prey on your snap judgment. And and that's where events and in-person is so important. If you can slow the process down, you get a different side of people. Mm -hmm. And at one of my one of my early the first couple that ever got married from one of my events, I love sharing this story because I think it says a lot. The guy was twenty eight and the woman was thirty six. 
Mm-hmm. That was the first couple that ever got married from one of my events. And, you know, he even he even like told me later, he's like, yeah, I, I probably would not have, you know, picked 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 her out. But by the time I got to knew her, I was I was in. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. You know, right. so that number was not going to deter me. So you're all talking about uh, in-person things you're, that, that these apps are never going to write because they're designed for click, click, you know, swipe, They're designed whatever. for click, click, and they're designed for speed. Mm-hmm. And I think they they put forth this message of efficiency. And efficiency right. is Year a of very— of efficiency. Sorry, I have yeah. to say it every time no, I hear the word. Yeah. No, and efficiency is a very powerful message for men in particular. They mm-hmm. love that idea. But I would argue that this isn't an efficient way. You're getting volume, but you're not. You're. I. I would actually say it's not. It's not efficient. It's not efficient. Yeah. So I agree with you, especially for women, that society has to stop evaluating their their success through the lens of romantic uh, success or not. I would say though um, that I do think it's actually more important and key to a successful development and maturity. Kara, you talked about both your both your mm-hmm. sons have had girlfriends. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping my 50-year-old son gets a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I think men without, and it's increasingly happening, men who do not have relationships by the time they're 30, I think women who don't have relationships have much greater social connections, are more mm-hmm. aware, more mature, more professionally adept, better at, at gas on, gas off, saving money. I think a man, if he hits 25 and hasn't had a romantic relationship, I think he's literally like comes off the fucking rails. He doesn't have guardrails. Doesn't doesn't develop any social skills. Um, I, I think it's actually. I, I think men fail if they don't have these relationships. Well, it's it's interesting because one of my uh, my son, my one son does have a very uh, has a girlfriend uh, who's gone out for a while now. He's seventeen, um, and the other one did have a girlfriend. And actually, his new thing was he's going to wait till a woman asks him out, which has taken a long time. Right, right. If he doesn't, he doesn't want to be the. Um, and, and my other son and I are like, well, you're going to wait a long time. I have to tell you it's not yeah. going to happen, which is interesting. Um, so when you're thinking about, um, I don't want tips for setting people up, but you were talking about live events, this idea mm-hmm. of constantly, because there's not church, there's not other yeah. places, there's all kinds of things. Obviously, we should have a pivot singles event where we all talk about Kara <laughs> and Scott, and that's what you've shared. But I'm going to tell you something very weird. I get approached <sighs> by so many couples and several well-known couples, actually. Someone mm-hmm. just texted me who listen to Pivot together, and that's their point of connection. And yeah. it makes them, that's where they met. Like, right, yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but they had a point of connection, and then they could debate which one they like better, me or Scott, well, obviously me. But um, but it was really interesting. And I was like, huh, so we're like helping you, or couples that exist that feel better with each other because they're spending a little more time on a topic they like, right? So it's fun. It's yes. fun for them to debate it. So offline is just superior to online, no matter how you slice it, even though Online is the way it's going with dating. Yeah, no, well, I'll caveat that. So yes, events are great, but most singles events are absolute garbage. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem. So like that—that that is like the, in the hierarchy of, you know, event types, I would say singles events are usually pretty low in terms mm-hmm. of like quality. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the standard has always been just shove a bunch of single people into a bar, mm-hmm. give them drink tickets and hope mm-hmm. that something happens. Right. And so, the, so single events, are, like rightly so, have a bad reputation. So, what I was trying to do, and maybe, maybe I'll do this again some someday soon, is to elevate that. 
right? So like, how do you use environment? How do you use the the size of the crowd? How, how do you use stimulus? Like you were talking about, yes, people need to have something other than we are all single mm-hmm. as a point of connection. Mm-hmm. And so all of those factors like need to be put into consideration. Mm-hmm. And if I could say something, you, you said something about, um, you know, your son and mm-hmm. Scott about your son. And I've never said this publicly, but I've, I feel like this is the place to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons why I think this industry doesn't get the same scrutiny that, say, Twitter or TikTok or any of these other mm-hmm. places is that, you know, the moment when we start to see a piece of tech and we start to see its downsides is when we see it affect children. Mm-hmm. Right. So think about the social dilemma, you know, at the end when the product manager sees his child on Instagram. That's the that's the moment when he realizes the impact of the product. Mm-hmm. We don't have that in dating. Mm-hmm. We don't see adults in the same way that we do children. The hearts of adults are just as important as the welfare of children in this context because of the implications. Yeah. And so you have people building products that don't see their quote unquote children experiencing the impact of that product. Yeah. And yeah. so that is why it does not get, I believe, yeah, it does not get the very same scrutiny as some of the other forms of tech. So let's do the tip, finish up with the tips. Uh, and Scott, if you have any more questions, but what are some of the tips you have now? Mine's well, um, I heard your episode last summer about how people always want you to set them up. Yes, they do. I'm good at it. But I do lying, but don't do my method. I lie to them. Okay. I, I make things up and I set them up via uh, dissembling. But go well, ahead. Here, here's what I would say. I get I get the, there's a couple things to just remember when you're trying to set someone up. Mm-hmm. One, never tell them that you're setting them up. Yes, don't well, use that word mm-hmm. and never use the word match and never mm-hmm. say that you guys are perfect for each other or anything mm-hmm. like that. This is the phrase that I like to use, and it's really simple, but it's very powerful. It's like, I think you guys might get along. Mm-hmm. That's it. I think you guys might get along. That way you, as the person that's doing the setting up, you're, you're kind of like out of it. So you don't feel responsibility if it doesn't mm-hmm. work out. You have just created a little container. And so that is just really, so the language is really important. You've taken mm-hmm. the pressure off of it. And then those two people can decide if, it, if it, there's something more. So just something as simple as, I think you might get along. Yeah, you should and meet. Then, yeah, you should meet. Professionally, yeah. personally, I try to do that with Scott meet. with friends, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, and I think actually, Scott, meet is good. Mm-hmm. Get along is better. It just pushes. It just mm-hmm. pushes the person just a little bit more, um, and 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 that that little bit can make all the difference. The other thing, and this is really important, and I want to like teach you guys this because Kara, I know people approach you all the time, and I feel like you would crush this. <laughs> I have this thing that I call a lodge line, mm-hmm. um, and it's a little tiny thing that you say about the person that you're trying to set up that kind of like lodges into someone's heart and kind of opens Mm -hmm. them up a little bit. When people set people up, they tend to talk in these sort of like boring, Mm well-meaning but boring platitudes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're amazing. They're wonderful. You'll you'll adore them. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't help. You want to give a tiny, tiny line about the other person that evokes a visual and tells you something about their character. So can I give you a quick example? Sure. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I'd fuck them. But go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you want to throw that on at the end, I'm not going to tell you not to. No, not. <laughs> I mean, you are Kara Swisher. I know. I wouldn't you can get away with more F-bombs than yeah. most people. So, yeah, go for it. Go for it. But the thing that you want to do – so I'll give, I'm will i going to give an example from, from this week. So I'm sitting okay. in the studio with Chris, mm-hmm. Chris, uh, audio engineer at Vox. And I had been telling him for the past couple weeks I was super nervous about this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last week I was like, oh, man, I just know my computer is going to break down. Like the one, the one time I get to talk to Scott Galloway.
Kyle wearing Kara Swisher. I'm going to have a tech issue. And he was like, look, I will book a studio. I will sit in the booth with you and you're going to be great. And we're going to we're going to we're going to make this work. Right. So first of all, Chris is engaged. So sorry, he's off the market. But like you just heard something about him and it wasn't super deeply personal. You weren't telling me what to think about Mm -hmm. him, but you probably pictured this guy who like looked out for somebody and like booked a room and he's sitting over there, you know, having my back. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that we need to share about each other, especially in a world where we're all getting flattened by our screens. We as people need to do that little bit of extra work to dimensionalize people when we try and set them up. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is powerful in this notion of third places where random encounters where things like pheromones and humor and body language can play a role when they can't play a role online. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, you got a 19-year-old... Uh, a man and woman in front of you, and what advice would you give them around trying to find um, or develop good skills that result in good relationships and potentially finding something that turns into a romantic relationship? What advice? Right, let me you- add, man and man, woman and woman. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I'm going to be. I didn't, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right, Before you're yeah. shaming, I said I'm a man or a woman. Shame. I didn't say but gay or straight. <laughs> All right. Okay. Go ahead. It's official. I mean, I know what episode. I know what information <laughs> I I know what advice I give to gay men. What? Uh, no means maybe, and yes means anal. Okay, <laughs> and there we have it. Sorry, Lakshmi. is that wrong? There, it's okay. Is that yes, wrong? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, I listen from the, to the Vox show. Media yeah. Podcast uh, Network. <laughs> we were so good. We almost got out. <laughs> okay, I prepped for this moment. Right, Don't worry. Okay. Don't All worry. Right, go for it. Okay, so a couple of things. One, I'm going to do one philosophical thing and then one mm-hmm. like very practical thing. One, philosophically, please remember that most of the people that you like and care about were not people that you liked immediately. And you got to know them in moments, right? So Be right open. now— A yes, second coffee. Well, so— Okay, I'm going to push back on that for a second, Scott. Mm-hmm. Like, I get the sentiment of be open, like be open-minded. But when someone mm-hmm. hears that, it kind of, it actually comes across as a little bit condescending, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, you, you're you doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing to remember, to your, your coffee comment, is most dates right now are happening in coffee shops and at restaurants, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But this is a terrible environment to get to mm-hmm. know somebody. It's not, it's not, I understand that why people do it. But if you look at all the dating advice that is out there, it is all around navigating this very narrow box, right? It's like, did he pay for the check? Did they Mm -hmm. order something? Were they nice to the server? And so you're trying to get to know somebody in this very, very limited context. And so you're putting so much pressure. It's like being in a fucking Law & Order episode, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's just here, right? And everything is being determined at the moment. So please just, like, keep that in mind. Like, these are not the best ways to get to know people. Mm -hmm. I understand you have to do it, but, like, don't try and draw a complete picture about somebody uh, I, I just want to press Starbucks. pause. I couldn't agree with more. I, de- I describe every date I had in a restaurant as me as, like, controlled boasting. Me yes. just sitting there trying to be more impressive than I was. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just, it's not, even though that's, and that's what everyone's doing. So just remember, this isn't, like, the best environment. The second was you have to work on getting people to share, like, bits of their story oh. as opposed to, like, their pitch, engineer. right? Because most people are trained to pitch themselves oh. and you have to get people out of pitch mode. And mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of how people do this very inadvertently. So what, a very common question when people are dating is, what's your family like? Are you guys close? Right? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a 
Sounds like a good question, right? Mm-mm. It's not a good question because, first of all, it's, it puts people in this state of being judged. Not everyone identifies with the word family. That is a very privileged word. Not everybody has good associations right, with family. Mm-hmm. And you're putting someone on the defensive. But it seems like a good question. Mm-hmm. Here's the question I tell people to ask, and it will change the trajectory of your conversation. Right, okay. What was one great thing about your upbringing? Uh-huh. Okay. That's good. Very Nothing. different. I was beaten daily. <laughs> there could but be a very bad different. Answer. But think yeah. about it. Like you yeah. know, Scott has talked mm-hmm. a lot about his upbringing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that I'm going to hear more of that. And everybody has had an upbringing, mm-hmm. but not everyone has had a family in the way that we that oh, we tend good. to think about I like family. That. That's really good. And that's you're really going to get good. a great story. Yeah, you don't have to tell everything. Interesting. Someone, my son, it's not dating, but he's meeting different people. And one thing that he's doing is not telling people that his his moms are lesbians, right? And there's one woman who he likes him who's super anti-gay. <laughs> so he's like, oh, interesting. And like, he's, I said, have you told her? And he's like, not yet. Not yet. And, and so then he moves. Of, and then he moves on to tell me something wonderful about your upbringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is so helpful, Lakshmi. We're going to have you back on again. Thank you so much. This uh, you you can hear more from Lakshmi uh, on this season of Land of the Giants, as well as on her podcast, Paired by the People. Wherever you listen to podcasts, thank you so much. This was delightful. Thank, yeah, thank you, you so much. That was riveting, Scott. We should be, you know, Yentas. We should. I feel like it's a whole new business line for us. What do you think? Yes? No? Okay. Uh, Yeah, I like it. But anyway, that was really fascinating. We should do more on that topic. Anyway, we'll be back for wins and fails after the break. Okay, Scott, let's do some wins and fails. I'm going to start this week. Um, We're going to have them on on Thursday, but this... This book, The Epic Battle for Media Empire and the Redstone Family Legacy by James Stewart and Rachel Hmm. Abrams, covers Sumner Redstone's manipulation of family and girlfriends, according to the Times. We see in precise detail the misogyny of Redstone's lust as he decides that his wealth and professed love for these women give him something like the rights of a king. Inevitably, though, he determines that each of them has betrayed him in some terrible way. One by one, he cuts them off. Just this story. It's it's also real dirty. <laughs> Just like, it's it's crazy. You got Les Moonves and, and, and Sherry Redstone, who managed to wrest it all away from all of these terrible men. Um, seems like uh, this is going to be a great book. It's a great story. Uh, very enjoyable. I love a good media succession. It's the real life succession. I like that. Mm-hmm. And then with Fail, a, a story that just appeared in the Washington Post today, and it's sort of something you talk a lot about. Um, the CDC did a report, uh, and let me just read the top. Uh, teen girls in the United States are, quote, engulfed in a growing wave of violence and trauma, according to federal researchers who released data Monday showing an increase in rape and sexual violence, as well as record levels of feeling sad and hopeless. Nearly one in three high school girls reported in 2021 they were seriously considered suicide, up 60%. Almost 15% of teen girls said they were forced to have sex, an increase of 27% over two years, the first increase since the CDC was was doing it. Almost three in five teenage girls reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless every day for at least two weeks in a row during the previous year. So girls are really not doing well. You talk a lot about men not doing well, but this report is, I, I just, it, it's so disheartening to read it. Um, and it's its a failure of our society, both w- girls and boys. Um, but this one's really a tough one to read. Anyway, that's my fail. 
just picking up on what you were talking about, there was some other interesting housing data that came out. So a third of all houses sold, I believe it was in 2022, were all cash buyers. So one in three houses being sold, someone shows up and pays all cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, you think, oh, great, the economy's doing really well. People are flush with cash. At the same time, the first-time home buyers is at a 40-year low. Yep. So what does that tell us? It tells us if you're already rich, you're killing it. But if you don't yet own a home or you're young or trying to establish a family, you're, it's increasingly difficult to buy a home. And this kind of nimbious culture we have that that skews favor to the incumbents and people already with capital is just making it more and more difficult for young people to acquire an asset that is the primary means for building wealth in America. And that is it's for savings. You take pride in it. It has these huge benefits of creating a, a space for you and loved ones. And over time, a lot of people end up at the end of their lives or the majority. My mom retired. The only reason she could retire is because she had a home in Westwood that we bought for $72,000 in, you know, the early 80s. And we ended up selling for $300 when she needed to retire. And this is how the majority of America uh, builds is kind of their safety net or builds wealth. And first time buyers, like literally young people are just giving up. Um, So... My loss is in America, we continue to have this rejectionist luxury positioning that favors the incumbents. We need massive and massive new permitting. We have a housing crisis. We could build dramatically more homes in the next 10 years and not have enough. So the housing data is my Agreed. my fail and the continued what I call transfer of wealth from young people to old people. My win is I was on TV with you next week, uh, last week. I won't say names, but we were on and someone could probably figure out pretty easily. And I was, I went home. I was with you. I wasn't feeling great. I didn't, I'm like, why the fuck was I on there talking about this? I know mm-hmm. nothing about yeah, this. You complained at the place, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. It was, it was in a bad mood. That's like me. And the anchor, someone who I would call a friend, called me at one in the morning and said, Are you doing okay? Are you all right? And I said, Yeah, I'm just a little bit jet lagged and I was pissed off. I don't think I did very well. But it got me thinking. And this is a skill I did not develop until I was in my forties. And that is if you, if you want, if, <laughs> The easiest way to express concern, and actually just tactically, the easiest way to get someone to like you and care for you is to express how much you like and care about them. Mm-hmm. And so often you register in your life. I get the sense they're not doing well. Mm-hmm. And I didn't reach out to people and say, hey, are you doing okay? And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, I feel so much closer to this person that they would take the time to call me and just ask that one simple question. Mm-hmm. So that's my win. I think it's really nice. I think it's an easy way to just reach out to people and say, you know, are you doing, I I notice, mm-hmm. I care about you, and so I'm reaching out to see if you're yes, doing okay. Yes, it is, in person, absolutely. I agree with you. I agree with you. But we, we actually, it was interesting because not just you, but many of your friends talk to each other about other friends, and that's another thing you should do. Like say, hey, that person seems sad. We should like, do something. Yeah. Do something. You know, I do that a lot with lots of members, including you. Um, so it's really important to do that. It takes two seconds. It takes two seconds to do so. Or say, leave them a man in their apartment so they can have a nice chat. There you That's go. Leave them Bill Cohen. I what did is say goodbye. I texted you. You, oh, I, could, I, I, Drew wouldn't let me interrupt you, by the way, FYI. So I wanted to, I feel bad now, but I was meant to say goodbye, but he wouldn't let me. So let's blame Drew on this one. 
There you go. Message, Scott. I care. Anyway, uh, we do also want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. Again, we're going to have James Stewart and Rachel Abrams here to talk about this book. And we're very excited. There you go. All right. Today's show was produced by Lara Neiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Indertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Saberio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Kara, have a great rest of the week. You too.